This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to machine learning. Well, we, uh, think about earthquakes, you know, the, uh, I was reading like, uh, in the uh, about the last days, how um, that there would be lots of uh, earthquakes, so the earth would, would uh, shake. There'd be a terrible shaking, it says, and uh, and so I was thinking about that, and um, you know, we always think of uh, earthquakes as being kind of localized to certain regions of the world like the Rim of Fire, Indonesia. But the truth of the matter is, is there's earthquakes that are occurring um, all over the world. And um, uh, about every 200 years in that Parkfield uh, area of California, which is along the San Andreas Fault, you know, there's lots of pressure that's built up there uh, due to the... Uh, Juan de Foucault plates uh, moving underneath the uh, North American plate. And um, and this particular area has lots of, of uh, major earthquakes. And it's been about 200 years. They, they say it occurs about every 200 years that there's a bad earthquake there. And so uh, um, uh, it looks like we're about due for another big earthquake in that region. And so the question is, is, well, could the energy of one quake cause the trigger of other quakes? And uh, uh, could, that, could the earthquake region, uh, you know, extend all the way up into Washington? Well, if you've studied some of the geology of that region, there was ghost volcanoes. And why were there ghost volcanoes in that region? Well, because uh, there were lots of volcanoes that, uh, or that area was, you know, weakened, and there was lots of uh, uh, seismic activity, volcanoes, uh, earthquakes, and uh, there's evidence that you know there was a long line of volcanoes that were erupting. So let's say you had uh, major. Uh, earthquake in that region and, and uh, volcano, let's say in Baja, began to go off, uh, and uh, and then the earthquake regions, the tectonic plates uh, began to uh, vibrate and cause other plates to weaken, and uh, or or fault lines to weaken, and you could have earthquakes all the way up to Washington. So you could have uh, Mount Rainier, Baker, Hood. St. Helens uh, going off at the same time and uh, you know maybe even uh, that might take off some pressure for the super caldera so the super caldera may not erupt if that was to happen but uh, you know it's it's just interesting you know when we think about could uh, there be a, a terrible shaking uh, and the 
answer is yeah, there could. Now, could there, would, would there be possible that the Earth could split apart along that fault line, along the San Andreas Fault? Well, we've seen the Hollywood's version of that, where the, there's a huge uh, separation in the continent, and uh, but it doesn't uh, doesn't show a movement away from each other. So there wasn't a continental drift that occurred. But uh, if that San Andreas Fault were to break all the way through and uh, and then there was continental shift, then we could see the formation of two different continents. And, uh, and, uh, and would that happen in our life? I don't know. You know, it's uh, hard to say. But could a large major earthquake occur in that region? Um, and if you looked at different, uh, if you listen to different uh, geologists, some will say no, you know, yeah, there's been earthquakes in that region, but nothing uh, big that would cause uh, a separation of the continents. So, you know, the experts are kind of saying that, you know, that's kind of an overreaction. And, uh, but the cataclysmists m might be saying, well, it's possible because those are signs of the time. So again, there's this interesting uh, analysis, one based on probably data and one based on uh, the prophecies of God, so, or, or the four wisdom of God. And it's always difficult. They say, you know, I was talking to a, one of my uh, friends and he, and he said, it's always difficult uh, to predict when things are gonna happen in prophecy. Uh, you look for the signs of the time, but you don't. You can't necessarily say when things are going to happen, and it's it's dangerous to to get speculating when things are going to happen. So rather than doing the when, I'm just uh, more more willing to talk about uh, what could what uh, possible events would have to transact or occur in order for something of that magnitude to occur. And you know, and when you see something of that magnitude occur, do you, uh, is it something that's going to be a big shock to people? And in other words, they hadn't been thinking about the, the, the problems or the pressures of Juan de Fuca play. Uh, they, they didn't, they hadn't been thinking about the link in the weakening of the crust of the earth that caused Mount St. Helens to blow. You know, it, it, if, if uh, Mount St. Helens is to erupt again, would there, uh, would it be because of the subduction uh, plates? And I think the answer, pretty much from from data, it would be yes, yes. Uh, they're, they're they're probably monitoring it. Uh, you know, could AI detect the long uh, long break crack in the rock that uh, precedes the uh, the eruption of the volcano? So there's a series of seismic events that uh, uh, small earthquakes in that region that are cracking the rock, weakening it, and then you have the weakening of the uh, the rock, and then you have the eruption. And uh, so there's lots of ways to look at this. You could look at it from space, and you could analyze uh, uh, changes. From space, either thermally, maybe there's different changes in temperature of the ground, and that could indicate that uh, something's occurring. Uh, you could listen to the seismic activity, monitor the signal, and see if there's 
you know, something that might indicate that uh, signal's changing. Uh, and then you could measure the, the air, you know, l the percentage of different gases that are in the air. As more sulfur is detected in the air, it might indicate that, uh, that uh, an eruption is about to occur. So these are early warning of volcanoes, earthquakes, there's lots of them. Every every month, there's at least an 8.0 earthquake somewhere in the world. Well, and you know, we've talked about that on this show about uh, you know why we're not more interested in earthquakes, and it, and I think it's largely due to the fact that you know it was 1700s was a really big earthquake uh, that that caused the United States to ring like a bell. Uh, you know, you have the set, uh, the Madrid Fault, and right in the center of the United States, and, and uh, they're monitoring activity there. You had a large earthquakes that occurred on the West Coast, and you know, there's even earthquakes that occur on the East Coast. Yeah, you wouldn't think of that, but uh, you know, there's uh, volcanoes, there's active volcanoes that are even on the, the East Coast, and so maybe some of our East Coast cities might be barren. Uh, you know, New York, Albany, Boston, um, up in those regions. And it might be due to earthquakes. It might be due to earthquakes and volcanoes. And uh, because they, they do exist there. And uh, even though, you know, it's, it, 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 we, we might say, well, you know, chances are of them erupting in our lifetime are astronomically small. Um, yet there is the possibility as things, be, the earth becomes more active, gets warmer, uh, more uh, magma flow, more pressure in the earth, uh, continental drift, etc., that uh, there could be uh, more volcanoes. And, uh, and so this earth, you know, um, uh, the terrible shaking, you know, it could be felt more than just locally and more than just in a 200 year span is what I'm trying to say. And there is the possibility of these scenarios running uh, full course. And when you think about it, you're like, well, okay, Dave, where's the data that supports your, your theories? And uh, well, I've read some books or some articles that talked about uh, active volcanoes on the East Coast. I've read some history on or uh, large earthquakes and volcanoes uh, along the east, uh, west coast of California, along the San Andres, the ghost volcanoes, the um, um, some theories about uh, uh, if Rainier got active, you know, what would cause, you know, how many people around there have built up homes, you know, what would happen if uh, if there was a blast, a pyroplastic blast, or if uh, there was a, a, a a mudslide, you know, how would it impact that regions around there? It'd be catastrophic, you know, that a lot of loss of life would occur. Uh, you know, is it possible that Baker, Hood, Rainier, and St. Helens could be erupting at the same time? And, yeah, in, you know, there is those causal links that you're looking for in the data, and there's people that are, you know, working on their PhD dissertation, and, you know, trying to uh, understand data, um, and uh, write up a thesis that's defensible um, and 
doesn't go uh, deviate from the established work that's already done. But you know, academics is very siloed. They're they're going to be working on research that uh, is not their own interest per se, but maybe what the uh, institution might feel is important to do research on. So. Um, there is some limitations to research and what can be researched and what can be published, and uh, and so you know we're there. You get some of these fantastic theories, and you know you look for the data that might support it. And then, but data by itself is is not enough. You need a theory, and so uh, you know you make a, uh, you build your theories and you make a hypothesis, educated guesses, and then you. Uh, you look for alternate hypothesis and null hypothesis to see if if there's any correlation in the data. You know, you look for your statistical significance through Pearson, and and uh, you find your p-values and you find your confidence intervals in the data. And even that, uh, you know, depends on the you know the uh, amount of data sampling you have. So you're looking for a Poisson uh, distribution, so you can do some simulation, and you're also looking for Gaussian distributions and then you can do your bootstrapping and you can check your p-values off the bootstrap and your confidence intervals too and yeah you know once you have those distributions and it's exponentially dis distributed um, uh, you know you can have some fairly good inferences drawn from your data and so um, you have to kind of change the way you think about data in terms of weakness and strength, absolute or not absolute, error or not error, uh, and, and think of it now in terms of inference strength, and, uh, and then, you know, test your hypothesis. And that's one of the things I think that uh, data science will do for you is the ability to uh, go and look for data, go and look for different data sets. And then uh, ask questions and, and from the data and draw inferences from it. Because the more ideas that are being drawn from data and correlated and discussed, the better off we are. Because uh, you know we have like seven billion people in the world, and uh, computational power is is increasing exponentially, and the distribution of that computational power and energy is becoming widespread throughout the world. And so. People that uh, are very intelligent and now are getting access to tools and resources that have never been available in different parts of the world, in Africa and in India. And, you know, on my podcast, there's, oh, I imagine, well over 100 countries that listen to this podcast. And you're drawing ideas from what I'm saying. <clears throat> and what I'm telling you now is that you should be learning the data science and, uh, and be thinking about the data. You know, don't, don't just watch uh, the news clip and, and believe what the, the media is saying. They're very politicized. And so, you know, data that is politicized, political size, is going to be very biased. And so it's gonna miss the target. And we know that from data science that when you have bias in your network, it misses the target. It's not accurate. And, you know, and you might say, well, you know, how do I know if it's biased? Well, 
you know, it can have these rewards that you have to put in for being unbiased because the data itself may be biased because of human, human behavior. It might actually reveal uh, biased human behavior. And so the system is now acting biased uh, in its predictions. So you have to uh, remove the bias out by creating a conditional re reward system. And you know, conditional group programming is, is becoming uh, more understandable you know, you've got reinforcement learning now, and uh, it's becoming more universally used, and it's based on, built on deep learning, and so, you know, the power of machines, massive parallel processing is kicking in, so it's running more cycles quicker, and the world is becoming more understandable. Even my world has been expanding out, I'm getting better understanding of biology, and I'm uh, you know, look, geology, you're, you have to learn different uh, terminologies, indicators, and, you know, your vocabulary of, of uh, things is going to increase exponentially, too. And so, you know, maybe in the future, a data scientist will have a fantastic vocabulary because they're covering so many different uh, domains of knowledge. And, and maybe that's kind of the charm of uh, being a data scientist is, is the, all the different domains of knowledge you might be covering. Accounting, real estate, uh, nuclear energy, automation, manufacturing, you know, all these different industrialism, all these different sectors or domains uh, have their own terminology and you have, uh, you know, you have the challenge to understand uh, what the terminology means and from that, you're able to uh, draw inference to what's important. Um, so, yeah, we do live in a time of change, um, and we have, you know, a hope for a bright tomorrow, lots of uh, possibilities, and, uh, and uh, you know, computers... Uh, the computer is getting more powerful. I, uh, my laptop, uh, you know, it, it uh, top of the line when I got it, had the you know 16 gig of RAM and four core. But you know, today you can get a 64 core, and you can probably get nearly a terabyte of, of RAM. Now that's going to cost a lot to have that much computation, but it's possible. And then you have to have some sort of cooling system with that many uh, cores. And so you're going to have a big cooling system to keep that, that uh, cool. But uh, GPUs are, are getting more powerful. And, uh, you know, they're part of the motherboard, integrated in with the motherboard. And uh, you have you know, multiple core machines. And so, <clears throat> yeah, we, we live in a world where... Uh, comp cycles are, are getting cheaper and as, as that computing increases then we need more people to be analyzing and thinking and correlating and discussing uh, data and from that you know you know that's like I was saying about some of these hard problems that corporations uh, you know begin to desiring to invest money to help recruit talent to solve hard problems. A lot of the world's challenges um, 
may have major breakthroughs that we've never seen before. And uh, that's kind of the hope of tomorrow is that we can uh, discover these big breakthroughs that uh, help humanity, do not create idols for our own creation, but instead uh, are, are blessed tools.